like the show? Want to listen to episodes early? Consider becoming a patron. Starting at the $3 a month level, patrons get access to a custom patron-only feed where we put out episodes of Upstairs Studio podcasts like the Child Care Bar and Grill, Miss Becky's Classroom, That Early Childhood Nerd, the Renegade Rules podcast, and others early. That feed is just for patrons. You could be one of them. Go to patreon.com slash playvolutionhq or click the link in the show description to learn more. Hey everyone, it's Heather. I know you're here to listen to the podcast, but did you know I also offer all kinds of online consulting services? Stuff like webinars, book studies, curriculum training and consultation, and even companion activities for podcast episodes to use for staff development. If you're interested, you can check out my website at www.thatearlychildhoodnerd.com or you can email me at heather at thatearlychildhoodnerd.com. Thanks for listening. Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that Early Childhood Nerd Podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. Um, I'm just going to let that go. I'm not going to re-record. Um, I just hit the wrong thing, but we're recording. Hi, it's Heather Burton Santi. <laughs> Good morning. It's a Saturday morning, and I'm here with Liz Nolasco, who has not been on the show forever and ever and ever. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> so we're finally, like, I think you sent me this quote that we're going to talk about summer, Maybe. I read this book ago. the first weekend that the school shut down for COVID. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I probably well, didn't send it to you for a couple a months. A long time ago. Okay. <laughs> all right. So, um, so what is the name of the book? So this is Bodies as Sites of Cultural Reflection in Early Childhood Education. And for broader context, because that doesn't give a whole lot, um, it's a comparative study of New Zealand preschools and Japanese preschools. All right. Um, and, and does it have an author? Yes, sorry, Rachel S. Burke and <laughs> Judith Duncan. <laughs> All right, cool. So it's a long quote because we want to make sure that everybody gets as much context as we can give them. And I've not read the book, um, just read this page that you sent me. So I hope you're ready to carry the show. <laughs> um, okay, but here it goes. So first we have, um, where is it? The Japanese teacher's assessment of their New Zealand peers echoes the findings of Fujita and Sano, 1988, who conducted cross-cultural research in early childhood settings in Japan and the United States. Japanese teachers interviewed in the study felt that their ch- American counterparts appeared lazy as they did not get down and play at children's level. Ooh. <laughs> For the Japanese teachers, the epitome of internalizing a learning experience involves the whole bodies of all members of the group. Therefore, the teachers will also join in and energy levels are high. An illustration of this kind of thinking can be seen in the criticism, which was leveled at staff of the Japanese kindergarten by focus groups in their own country, following the images of water play at the Hokkaido kindergarten. A teacher in Osaka commented that the water play was fun, but I think the activity could have been made more dynamic. 
They were playing quite reservedly with that mud, <laughs> but if it had been me, I would have piled mud all over their bodies, on their heads. In our kindergarten, the teachers would also join in. We would put mud all over our bodies too and join in the play with the children. We're always doing that, teachers and children together, getting all muddy and wet. When you do that, children get really excited. Their eyes come alive with it all and they call out, we want to do that too. <laughs> I love it. I want to play. Right. I thought the image just felt so happy. Right. And I can feel the mud. I feel it. Exactly. I miss mud. Um, okay. So what, I guess, why, why, why did you send this one to me? What should we talk about? So I kind of went in two directions mm -hmm. um, and I would love to hear what else it brought up for you. So mm -hmm. the first one for me was body autonomy, right? I think the, the initial gut reaction to this was but what if the child doesn't want to have mud piled all over their body? <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> um, definitely. And then the other one was professionalism, right? So the Japanese kindergarten preschool teachers thought that the Americans were lazy for standing back. Uh -huh. Whereas I think so much of our professional image is being tidy and being in a supervisory role yeah. separate from the children because the last thing anybody wants to hear is, oh, how nice you get to play all day. <laughs> True. Yes. Yeah. Um, that's um, okay. So uh, let me go to body autonomy first um, because my, my, my initial instinct would be that if they are in fact down with the children all the time and they're all internalizing things together as described, then those teachers would know which children don't want to be covered in snow and would be respectful of that. That's my, that's what I'm going to pretend to keep this a fun thing, <laughs> to keep thinking of this as a fun and lovely thing. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, and that, that idea that, um, that they thought the, the U S teachers looked lazy because they weren't on the floor with kids that, um, like made me catch my breath a little bit because exactly what you said um we're so 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 many people are so worried about how they're seen how they're perceived what people will think about their classroom or just aren't comfortable enough defending the practice that they that they um would rather do maybe of being down on the floor right. with children more playing more um, that that would be a really scary thing for them to think about. Um, although, oh, which is weird because so many of the, like the images that we see in early childhood magazines, on blogs, on websites, are teachers down on the child's level with like fake wonder on their face. Um, right. Yeah. But I then in real practice, <laughs> down on the floor doesn't always look like that. It would look more like mud and play and, um, enjoyment and that's not professional right exactly I, I do wonder how much of it is broader American culture versus early childhood work culture just because sure. I haven't experienced much of the former uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. this is the work culture I know <laughs> but I think the idea of teachers and children together in I mean it doesn't say a mud pit but I, I don't exactly have the context for this I assume it's just a very muddy yard that's kind of yeah yeah what I've got in my head um yeah. 
And I think the idea of teachers who are, so I, I think one thing that was missing from this with, with the Japanese teacher's observation was the children also having the freedom to then return the mud to the teacher, which I yes. think is implied. Uh-huh. But I also want to make that really, really clear because I think a big part of teaching teaching consent, teaching bodily autonomy is this idea of reciprocity. Right. Right. Like it's not okay if I run over and hug a child who that I then yell at for running over and hugging me, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, do you know, I worked with the director who wouldn't let children hug her because she was worried about her clothes getting dirty and like her whole body would be like, like cringing away from a child hug that's awful yeah it was um that was long long ago and uh any similarities to persons living or dead or fictional right she's she's (laughs) fictional but also (laughs) i took her out for lunch one day and told her all the ways i thought she was screwing up i was so full of myself in a different way in my 20s um okay so now that i've really pinpointed who this person might be, we better move on um here's what stood out to me also um at the end of the uh the quote from the teacher um just at the end where she's talking about putting mud on herself and thinking about the children's excitement and hoping that they want to do it too that would be outside of the comfort level of so many people that I know who work with young children, because when I think, so she talked about um, the children get really excited, their eyes come alive with it and they call out, we want to do that too. Um, so excited children is not always a good thing for some people. Like they want to keep it all very calm and manageable, but that would be someone's fear. I think when you talk about mud play, they'd think, Oh, someone's going to put it all over everything. And then everybody's going to think that's okay. And right. then here's this totally different perspective where they're saying, I'm going to model this mud play and hope that they want to do it too. Actually. So that brings up a really interesting thought that I, hadn't had in my prior read through uh-huh. this idea of modeling so modeling behaviors that we want to see is everything right and that's you know the sure. teachers who are teaching how to draw if they're really particular about certain things or you know my pet peeve is the teachers who draw alongside the children but are really good artists and then the kids just walk away and get frustrated yes. the teacher's still yeah. sitting there drawing yeah. um, yep. <laughs> but the idea of something that doesn't really have an assessed skill level as a meeting place for teachers and children. Uh-huh. I wonder about the, I mean, I, I, in my head, there's a clear difference between the, those two specific examples. Uh-huh. Um, and again, the American focus on assessment and documentation of learning and, you know, yeah. which of course is global and important and also I wonder about the implications, I guess, of having more things that aren't about skill, that are about enjoyment. And of course, there's neurodevelopment and sensory processing going on. Sure. But, you know, it's not like a three-year-old can get, right. It's not like a three-year-old can get frustrated for not being as good at mud as her teacher. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Um, But I think reversing that, the teacher is probably not as good with mud 
as as the child also might true. be and that <laughs> might be contributing to the teacher's lack of excitement about the mud like they just don't understand I think this is true of a lot of sensory play like so everybody's got it in their classroom because it's on a checklist somewhere and we mm-hmm. learned that sensory play is important um but but so many adults aren't quite sure what to do with it and how to use it and don't understand that idea of it can just be a you know like a bodily experience and it's just it's okay if it's just about how it feels or what it looks like or the sounds it makes those are literally the senses right i think that's why there's so much stuff in advertised sensory bins yeah you know because you have to put in the letters in the sand otherwise (laughs) right otherwise it's just play (laughs) right Um, so, so I, I'm just sort of th- rethinking back to what you were saying about, you know, a skill to be taught and maybe that's why, you know, this is a, this is a kind of equal skill <laughs> or no skill required. I hate to say no skill required, but you know what I mean? Um, because I, I see a lot of adults who put those tools in the sensory table and I put tools in the sensory table. I put stuff in there to see what they do with it. Um, <clears throat> but so many people feel like then it's, well, now I have to teach them how to use these tools. I have to teach them to pour and I have to teach them not to splash. And I have to teach them self-regulation while they're in this messy situation um, so that it becomes a less rich experience for everyone, really. I'm sure the adult's not having a good time. Right. Oh, yeah. Anybody either. who's yeah. tried to teach a two-year-old to hold a pitcher and pour is using their mind inside like regardless of what was there on the outside (laughs) yep i'm just skimming back over if you have something Mm -hmm. you want to jump to oh yeah no i think i was just um i I like your what you just said about the adding in tools because again this certainly doesn't sound like it was an especially complex i mean it does sound very child-led even though at Mm -hmm. first read it's that you know that teacher would have put mud all over all of ourselves all over the children it sounds like it's very much the children's experience and the I don't know how to turn dynamic into an into the form of word that I would like to use (laughs) (laughs) but sorry when the teacher said the activity could have been made more dynamic I Uh think there's so much value in the teacher as a as an additional player like we were talking about and in place of physical materials right because uh-huh. you can pile in all the fancy mud kitchens <laughs> if you want mm-hmm. but it's not the same as a an enthusiastic adult playing alongside you yeah that's a good point um just that the permission that an, an enthusiastic adult gives a child to really follow their own um, questions and explorations and feelings and fun, um, Mm -hmm. I think can be really so much more valuable than the tools that we think we're putting in there. Um, I think that kind of goes back to my feelings about the idea of the third teacher, which is going to get me crucified, but hold on. Uh, (laughs) Not by me. Well, (laughs) okay. Well, I guess we'll see where you take it. Right. That's yeah. I don't don't promise right. anything yet. You're on no, notice. I think there's, <laughs> I think there's a lot of value in, 
being aware of how we set up our classroom. Sure. But I feel like there is so much of the Reggio approach in particular and how Americans perceive the Reggio approach. Yeah. That is, well, I do all this work in the classroom. So the classroom does all this work with the children. And so we're taking out the entire adult's interactional experience. Uh-huh. Um, and so I, I think focusing on the third teacher is lovely, but also let's look at the first two and the see first what two there. teachers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess if you you're saying that the environment is a third teacher, it should be implied that there are two other teachers. But but what happens is um, we we translate as we as we sort of uh, mistakenly translate so much of Reggio, we translate third teacher as teacher. <laughs> the environment is the one doing all all the work, but, um, oh, what did that remind me of? Oh, I do gone. want to add that if you've seen me in real life and have seen any of my classrooms that you have probably gotten the implication <laughs> that that's less my focus, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not for lack of trying. But yeah. Yeah. Um, it's also natural inclination. <laughs> Um, God, I just lost it again. Like I had it as soon as you started talking. Oh, no, sorry. Gone again. It was something about, oh no, I was just going to talk about that. So we've got another dichotomy sort of appealing, appearing in false dichotomy maybe, but or competitive dichotomy <laughs> appearing in some of the circles that I, that I move around in, in early childhood land about, um, teacher involvement and play like teacher led or child led. Yes. It's this or this. Um, and I could see that this, you know, if, if they're joining the children in their play, then that is child led, of course, but you still have a role, you still have a place. Um, even if what you're teaching in that moment is sort of unintentionally teaching them that they have permission to be themselves and to explore, or that, um, you have good ideas too. And, um, but, but not co-opting their play. You're not taking it away. You're just kind of getting in there as another player would. Um, and I think there are folks who get very territorial about territorial is maybe the wrong word, but it's either, or, and there's no gray in between. And, um, (laughs) because I like to play with and be part of, um, I tried to be very respectful of children's autonomy bodily, of course, but also their autonomy of ideas and, um, their power to follow their own idea. Um, but I think that there's still a place for me in that as an audience or an appreciator or, a um, thing finder if they ask. And thankfully children are not subtle when they're not enjoying your participation. Right. <laughs> I mean, if you find that all the kids have walked away and you're the only one covered in mud, that's a pretty good sign. That, I know. Uh, I, um, every now balance. and again, I find myself in a conversation where they're talking about how children really don't want to engage socially. And it's like, no, they just were bugged by you. Like they walked away because you were intrusive. Right. <laughs> it's not that they don't know how to engage with you socially. That was not their choice in the moment. Because, <laughs> oh. you know five minutes later they were engaging very socially with someone over here but (laughs) ability versus preferences seem to be easily confused Mm -hmm. in young children Mm -hmm. yes (laughs) Uh uh-huh uh-huh um so wait tell me the name of this book again please bodies as sites of cultural reflection in early childhood education okay so so what did you learn about bodies of sites as sites 
of cultural education or cultural learning? I learned that it's something that has not been paid any attention to in my associates through master's degree classes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Not for I've lack only, of appreciation. I've only read one page of it, but um, I can concur. That has also been my experience. <laughs> um, I, I found it. So full disclosure, I kind of skimmed through it again uh, last night because I went, oh gosh, I haven't read this in six months, but <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think that what stood out to me the most in my re-flipping through uh-huh. was, um, and I also need to confess that this was a thematic binge back in March. So it was this book, as well as Preschool and Three Cultures, as well as the documentary that went along with Preschool and Three Cultures. Uh-huh. Um, so I might be misremembering a touch, but I know that in all of those things, there was this theme of um nudity frankly i mean in um i don't know have you seen the preschool and free cultures documentary no no i just um was reading a little bit further in the page you gave me Uh. (laughs) they're talking about uh children in their underwear and painting Mm -hmm. their bodies and um uh yeah so it what didn't surprise me is why i was nodding along Right. No, that makes sense. Um, but it was talking about the, um, so one of the things that really stretched me from that was the change. So this was the documentary that I saw was actually revisiting it. So they showed clips from, I think, 1988 and then maybe 2000. Mm-hmm. I, sorry, I should have read up on this before. Yeah, Liz, God. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but the Chinese preschool in 1988, all of the children would go use the restroom in the same place at the same time there was a a trough essentially oh and the director at the school in that revisiting was talking about how they've they've westernized their bathroom practices and the toilets are individual and she felt that the children had really lost this sense of collectiveness oh wow and so it it's different than the mud play right but it's still this cultural idea of, you know, collectivity versus individualism, uh-huh. which I think is a really interesting thread to go on as we're seeing, I mean, in the headlines yesterday was, you know, secession because of right. court <clears throat> results. Yeah. Um, so I think this idea of looking at our own cultural balance of individuality versus collective versus what we want to see in young children as opposed to what we are seeing from adults and if and how and when those values change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And I think the idea of it starting with the body makes sense because, you know, we're born as sensory independent creatures. Uh (laughs) Yeah. So collectivity has been on my mind a lot this year because when I did that, um, uh, the video about not using the word friends in the ways that we use it in childcare centers sometimes, early childhood programs. Um, some of the feedback I got was, well, that, you know, is very cultural. And what about, you know, inter, um, oh God, what, what word am I thinking of? Interdependence mm-hmm. um, and community. And I was trying to articulate why I think that there can be 
both because I, I do see that um, I'm kind of just going down a, a path, a, a, a whatever you call it, rabbit hole. Um, and we'll see where this goes. But um, on, on the topic of collectivity, I do think that there is, there can be a dehumanizing effect if we're not being intentional about that collective community kind of thing and we're only seeing groups and moving groups from here to there I don't think that's the same as collectivity I think that's hurting <laughs> and, yes. and it's not about community it's about convenience right mm-hmm. so so thinking about things like um, the example you just gave of the the toileting practices um, you know of course that sounds really weird uh, because it's not our practice but hearing that teacher's feedback that she felt like something had been lost in changing the practice. Right. And it's it's powerful. Like I want to think about that some more. I don't know that I have anything brilliant to say about it. I just, I just need to think about it some more. I love your distinction between community and collective though. I think that that's important to note. And I think community has this implication of being voluntarily participated in. Okay. That's, that's my take anyway. And mm-hmm. I feel like collective is hurting. So again, like with the uh, back to the restroom example, or well, no, not well, entirely hurting, but so I just now feel like it's going to be semantics, right? It's going to be, well, doesn't it always come back to semantics? <laughs> yeah. Come on. <laughs> yes. Yes. My one true religion. <laughs> <laughs> but I think they're both important pieces, but I, I think maybe the reason a sense of collective hasn't caught on is because it, it conjures images of the Borg, even if you're not a Trekkie, right? Like it's just <laughs> right? all one. The Borg mind. is terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a new Trekkie. I'm learning. Oh, I didn't know this about you. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Sorry. I derailed your, com- <laughs> no. your thing. That's okay. The Borg, Borg tend to fear. do that. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I think the idea of community, I think if we were to reframe it, rephrase it as community, I think uh-huh. it would be a lot more palatable for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, but but I think we need to take it deeper than just saying community because, because yeah. <laughs> we are so skilled in American early childhood culture at euphemizing words. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love your mug. Um, Thank you community becomes a euphemism for everybody sitting and listening and everybody doing what the teacher says or, um, uh, or everybody behaving perfectly. Um, Maybe there's something to, so I like modify it a layer. I just, yeah, yeah, I just think that there needs to be like a definition of terms whenever I use it because, because so often when I'm talking to people, particularly about like helping kids with behavior, um, Right. community becomes that sort of euphemism for control that makes sense I guess I'm thinking so I'm um unbelievably I know that's not lucky. how you're I using with, it <laughs> I work with just some remarkably skilled teachers mm-hmm. and um, my office is right next to one of the classrooms so this one teacher gets observed a whole lot more than I think he signed up for <laughs> but he seems pretty okay with it um, <laughs> but I mean when I think community I think of his group of children so I've said this before but for background my program uh we loop with the children from the time they begin up until they head off to kindergarten uh-huh I love that and so it's oh, it's amazing to see and so mm-hmm. this teacher is with 
kids who are about to start turning five. So he's known this is his third year with them. And with the pandemic, we've lost several children and he's gotten several yeah. children into the class. And so the, but the community that he's built with the kids who did return, you know, once we reopened and everything lent its, I mean, has just made it so easy for the new children to come in. And I, I guess that's what I think of when I think community, right? Uh-huh. They've got these rituals built into their day. They've got these routines. They've got inside jokes. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. bring people in. And, you know, even if it's also bringing them into the routine, because yes, part of your job as a teacher is making sure the kids aren't, you know, tearing down the walls and, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> right. be- behaving within reason, but also allowing them to explore, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I guess that's what's in my head when I picture classroom community, but um, yes, there are certainly other places where classroom community means you do what I say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and just maybe just because that's such a pet peeve for me, such a, such a, tr- a hot button topic for me that that's always where I go. And then I don't give people enough benefit of the doubt when they're talking about it or, or, or thinking about it. Um, so I wanted to go, I want to jump, this wasn't in the quote that I read, but it's down further on the bottom of this page. So I'm just going to read it. Um, um, uh, okay. So it's when they're talking about like children running around in underwear with things painted on their bodies. (laughs) And it says, um, this image contrasts sharply with the American early childhood context where scholars have noticed that noted that children's bodies, especially in their proximity to other bodies, pose a menace to order. Proximity is taboo in too many childhood programs, in many childhood programs. And I just like um, that, that idea of, for, for some of us, bodies pose a menace to order. And that's maybe why we yes. don't think enough about consent and bodily autonomy and... Um, even sensory play, I think um, it's, it's just a really interesting way for me to think about this. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of times that I've seen proximity as a, as a taboo. And I'm kind of curious now. Um, I'm circle time, any circle time. Ah, okay. Thank you. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, standing to getting too crowded around a table or. Okay. Um, not standing in line. Uh, that kind. That's what came to mind for me was that. Okay, that makes um, sense. Their bodies then become nuisances, uh, rather mm-hmm. than part of a human uh, or mm-hmm. a whole of a human being. And uh, so that w- that would be a difficult switch for some people because that really is embedded in so much of what we do culturally in our programs. That's true too. I wonder how much of this is gender norms. So, I mean, I guess less proximity being taboo. Sure. But, um, well, little girls hugging and playing and little boys roughhousing. I mean, that's that there's a, there's a gender marker for you in terms of bodies. Exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking. I was watching a group of four and five year olds on the playground the other day. It was a group of four boys and the name of the game was jail. The oh, actual game I've played was, that game. <laughs> the actual game was group hug. Oh, that's <laughs> even they better. Would, they would have to chase a child down, and everybody would pile on and hug oh the child my gosh. and bring them to the Amazing. jail. And I'm going, 
man, what messages are these kids getting at four <laughs> and five years old that they can't just hug each other? <laughs> because you, you could tell that the, the, the person being jailed yeah. was, they had to make it, they had to stop and talk, talk out how to make this rule that everybody would get three turns and then they'd go to the next person because they felt left out if they didn't get their They didn't get in jail. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But I mean, Living you never see girls tonight. You'd see girls running up to each other yelling group hug. <laughs> yes, exactly. They don't have to frame it in any way, but let's just hug each other. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, there's a lot going on in that jail game. Uh. <clears throat> My jail game was just, I got chased around the playground and when they caught me, I had to sit in the giant swing. <laughs> pretty, that one too. <laughs> pretty easy gig. <laughs> Oh, look very goodness. professional though Heather <laughs> yeah I know I always think because I'm I mean you know maybe you know this but so our playground you know we're in a university building and our mm-hmm. playground is right smack in the middle of an l-shaped kind of academic space and I I know people watch like the faculty and stuff are watching from up in those windows because they mention it but and I'm like <laughs> running around and laying on the floor and climbing on things and um yeah so I always am like I guess this is who I am as a professional and they can like it or lump it (laughs) (laughs) um was there anything else in this that you that you wanted to talk about or get to or that we haven't hit on I want to read the book now but my gosh my reading pile is so tall (laughs) so I sort of resent you right now for bringing this into my life (laughs) (laughs) i think you should at least watch the documentary because it's 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 not related to this but i I feel like you know an hour and a half is a manageable chunk preschool in three cultures i believe preschool in three cultures i think so i'll find i've heard of that now that you say that but oh yeah send it to me but i'm sure people who listen now are going to ask me what it is so i need to know what it is Yes. See, and I've got to watch it to have the full context. Perfect. Yes, I'm going to. <laughs> um, oh, but if we're allowed to go outside of the quote, I think of course. We, um, <laughs> if we're allowed to the show. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh no, where did it go? The oh yes. So the the next page um, at Kaimai Kindergarten, substances such as paint, dye, and slam on clothing are not currently classified by teachers, parents, and children as matter out of place. And that was Ooh. a quote from 1966. Wow. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> um, wow. And so it earlier in the book, it talked about, so matter out of place is in quotes, and that's just a phrase that refers to disorder, essentially. Sure. Right. So just yeah. this cultural construction of painted dyed slimy clothes being not dirty uh-huh. really stood out to me yeah um and I think everywhere that I've worked there's certainly been a you know the families and educators have kind of run the gamut on where that line is right yeah so I think the idea of just everybody in agreement that nope this is what it's supposed to look like is a really uh-huh. lovely idea wouldn't that be great I had a little boy in the preschool. Well, I had him for two years. And um, one day he wore, one day he told me that the next day he was going to wear his yarn, 
Yom Kippur clothes because he was outgrowing them and he wanted to give them like one last hurrah. Like he just oh, was you know, a very adultish kind of little guy. <laughs> um, and so he did. And they were like high water pants and tiny little suspenders. <laughs> and um, we were doing roller painters on the tabletop just like rolling and he started just like rolling his whole body his his paint over all the Yom Kippur clothes that he wanted and it was great because I knew that that's what his parents wanted him to do (laughs) so I didn't have to worry at all and we just were both just having so much uh joy in that moment me watching and him doing and (laughs) I remember thinking um if only this was the norm this would be right I love that we would all be laughing and crying tears of joy and covering ourselves in paint <laughs> i do love that idea of saying goodbye to the Park clothes by <laughs> painting them great. and yeah. they had a song about painting their clothes i don't remember how it went but Ooh. there was also a song <clears throat> as well there should be that's a, the best sign of joy <laughs> right yeah it was a ceremony are you still looking for something oh sorry oh, okay. it's just there are words on my screen and so okay. i have to read them that's what makes for a good podcast um so i'm just trying to decide if we're wrapping up are we done or was there more you want to talk about i think that i need to think about this a lot like i i'm not having a lot of opinions i'm having a lot of wonderings uh just from this one page you've sent me so i think you should really read the book yeah (laughs) Okay, it's but a I'm... quick read. I did it in one night of pandemic insomnia. I think you can oh. manage it. <laughs> oh, well, my pand- pandemic insomnia is back. So um, uh, so I might be up for that. But I got to tell you this. Hold on. I got to find it. I know the listeners are riveted <laughs> to this right now. But I've, I can't think of the name of the title of the book I'm getting for Christmas that's going to become all-consuming. Oh, it's not loading. It's something about feminist care ethics and early childhood. Oh, and okay. uh, I'm super excited about it. Did you remember the author? No, of course not. Okay. Um, I was going to say that sounds like Nell Nodding's work, but it's I not Nell Nodding's. I know yeah. that. Um, wish list. Hold on. Theorizing feminist ethics of care in early childhood practice. By Rachel Langford and Jane Osgood. I think they might be Canadian. Okay. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. So maybe I'll read. Although, if I ordered this book now, I could have it done before Christmas. You could. Except you could even get a digital copy and have it done by this afternoon. Oh my God, digital copies. (laughs) Okay. All right. So Liz sold me a book. <laughs> I think we can wrap it up here now that the listeners have listened to me wait for my Amazon wish list to open and you've sold you've made a sales pitch. We should probably just wrap it up now. It's true. I do want to hear everybody's thoughts though, because I've been trying to like evangelize about this book forever. And yeah. I feel like if there are listeners with strong opinions, I would very much like to hear them. Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> um so and also if I do read it, I imagine there will be more episodes excellent <laughs> coming from it so but yeah definitely if you guys want to start a conversation in the comments once this posts um liz will answer all your questions <laughs> <laughs> thank you <laughs> all right well thanks liz both for joining me for this conversation and for introducing me to these ideas in this book i probably we all know i'm going to go buy it as soon as i get stop here 
There's no <laughs> fooling. Um, and uh, oh, fun. yeah. And thanks everybody else for listening. We'll see you again next week. Bye. Bye. Yes, I will. And that's the show. Now go get your nerd on. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.